You've incorporated software testing into your coding practices and know from experience that it helps you get your stuff done faster with less headache. Awesome. Now your colleagues want in on that superpower and want to learn testing. How do you help them? That's where Josh Peak is. He's helping his team add testing to their workflow to boost their productivity. That's what we're going to talk about today on Testing Code. I'm your host, Brian Aachen, and I'm super excited to welcome a new sponsor for Testing Code, a company called Raygun. I reached out to them because their focus fits so well with what we're trying to do here at Testing Code. So thank you to Raygun for sponsoring this episode. Raygun builds tools for error, crash, and performance monitoring for web and mobile apps, including, of course, Python-based web apps. Find out more at raygun.com. And a little later in the show, we'll talk about the super cool crash reporting. Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. I'm really excited today on uh, Testing Code. We have Josh Peak. He's been writing about PyTest a lot, which is great, and testing. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Before we get started, uh, tell everybody who you are. So, I'm Josh Peak. I'm a data scientist and software engineer, and I work for Komatsu Mining at the moment. So, whatever I say is my own opinion. So, disclaimer out of the way. Okay. But yeah, so I'm working in the smart solution section. So, I like saying that I do data mining on mining data, which is <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Have you been with this company for a long time? Almost a year for Komatsu, but prior to that, I worked for a startup called Invoice2Go for about six years. They got some venture capital. I got to work in San Francisco for a little while, so that was a lot of fun coming from Australia, but then getting to work in Silicon Valley for a bit, so living the dream. And then worked for a couple of defense companies for a while, and then another company called CloudSense. They do integrations between Heroku and Salesforce. And it was at Invoice2Go and CloudSense that I got my biggest taste of doing testing practices. Is uh, data science something you've been doing the whole time or is this something new recently? Oh, it's pretty new. So it's only this year that I finished that qualification. It was when I was working at Invoice2Go, I was the first employee at that startup. And after about Four years, I knew the entire data model. So when we got funding and they're like, oh, we need a data team, Josh knows the most about the data model. So I became a data engineer. But then the first thing you do as data engineers, you've got to meet your responsibilities of, is data available? Is it clean? Is it secure? So doing those three things meant I wrote an ATL system, which I was writing a lot of SQL as unit tests. So we're using the CTEs or common table expressions on Amazon Redshift to be able to write a whole heap of select fragments to, if I go and select a certain property out of this table to assert, are there no nulls, no missing values, no duplicates? These were common tests that if the CEO got that email at 6 a.m. and he's like, can I trust this data? It's like, I already know that I can or cannot trust the data. So I was writing a lot of those manually. Then we got to the practice of how do we just automate these SQL statements? And if so you can do like a select into, which means I can get those results and I'll append those results to a new table. And that's how we had our daily, I guess, CI system for a data warehouse. And that's where I got that taste of, oh, you know, if I automate these tests, I know overnight without being woken up at 3 a.m. that 
the CEO is going to get a accurate email in the morning. So that's when I actually got over that initial hurdle. Oh my God, automated testing, like it won't wake me up in the middle of the night. This is good. One of the things we were going to talk about today is um, helping other people get into testing. Yeah. So that first hurdle for me is, I guess, where a lot of my team are at the moment. They're like, yes, people tell me that testing is a good thing. I just don't know how to do it. It seems daunting. And how do I get over that first hurdle? So a lot of my team are mechanical engineers and the company is like, all right, anyone with a keyboard can code, right? No. <laughs> then they hired some software engineers and they're like, ah, oh, that's what software engineers do, right? <laughs> so just trying to put some engineering practices around, I guess, the code as a product and how do we have the best practices around make sure it's quality product at the end and then we're building data products and making sure that the data has testing around it to make sure that, that product that gets to our technicians on site, they've got reliable products around understanding what machine faults are and detecting anomalies with that. So trying to get the team to go from headless chickens to, ah, oh, I don't know how to test. Uh, I wrote a little blog article, which is meant to capture the last few years of my understandings or like the checklist that I go through of how to get over that hurdle. And it's just, here's a series of steps. We can dive into those things. It's four points. What's the name of this article? I'll just call the article from zero to test, turning hurdles into steps. What do we have first? Yeah, so the first one I've got is the how every test should be structured. This is just an opinion, but it's the given when then framework. And I know you've pushed this in a really good book that you've recommended a few times, the PyTest book from Prague Frog. Yeah, that's a good book. I like it. But I've read the refactoring book by Martin Fowler and uh, Clean Code, and I think they mentioned it too. It's just something that it's a repeated pattern that a lot of people recommend to how to structure it. And I like how the when part, that's like the least amount of code. That's the bit that's under test. The given part is how do I set up the test? And there are all the fixtures and all the context and state that I need to set up my test. And when I went and studied the data science course doing the statistics part, it's interesting how all the things that I learned there are mapping to a lot of this. What is a good test? And the all my assumptions and what's my hypothesis? This is everything that I need to set up. And that's why the given part is actually quite tricky in a test. How do I set that up in a way that if that doesn't work, that's just an error. I don't have correct assumptions about the test. And if those assumptions are correct and I've got my given and fixtures set up correctly, then I can actually start doing the when I do this code, then all of my assertions. And these are the properties that I'm going to be testing on. So in statistics, you do like a t-test or um, an ANOVA. And these are properties of the data that you're going to be testing on. One of the things I see a lot with people new to testing is we get these big workflow tests. And there's we're doing a whole bunch of stuff and and asserting all over the place, which you can't really do if you're following this given when then model. So have you had any pushback from anybody? So I've got buy-in from management to allocate some time for training. So actually this Friday, we're doing the first workshop on getting everyone to actually clone the repo of this library that we're working through and trying to get test coverage up. And I'm going to walk them through, all right, there's an existing test file that we're going to delete and get them to write those tests to get the coverage up and walk them through that process. So I've had them actually read this article. And so far, they're like, oh, yeah, looks good. So we'll find out how in practice goes. But they've at least liked that 
laying it out in a format makes it less daunting. Yeah. It gets rid of the blank page problem of like, I don't even know how to, where to put my code. So yeah. Where do I start? What do I even write? It's just that scary blank page. It's like, okay, now I've got a bit of a framework to how to structure my narrative of what is a test. Yeah. A lot of people have used the given when then thing. I borrowed it from behavior driven development, but we're not talking about Gherkin tests. We're talking about just straight old code tests, right? Yeah. I think uh, with the, given part that's where it can like, test can get very complicated because that's where you've got like the test doubles like mocks and stubs and that's where it can get quite hairy very quickly in how you construct test are you utilizing mocks within your testing yeah so one of the articles other articles that i wrote about was advanced python testing so we had some flaky tests and that's because they're just sending a test off to our database which had a lot of broken data and it was very intermittent it's like that's not a good test so i started using a thing called snapshot testing and a framework called vcrpy where it will record the request the http request to like a local YAML file, and then I'll replay that. So A, testing is faster, but B, it's repeatable. Okay. And with that, I was actually able to get one of our tests that worked perfectly on my machine. It was failing on CI. Like, why? So I was able to replay the difference between the request that was being composed and what it was expecting. And it turns out we had a time zone issue depending where we ran the code, it composed the request differently based on the system time zone. So I'll to pick up a bug where that should have been UTC every time. So quite grateful that we actually put that in. And that's just a subtle bug that the request worked, but it wasn't the right response back. Okay, cool. This episode of Test and Code is sponsored by Raygun. Raygun has awesome tools to help you monitor your application for errors, crashes, bottlenecks, and performance. But let's zoom in on crash reporting. Whether your app is a side project or something your company and your customers depend on every day, you want it to be a good experience for your users. It takes just a few minutes to set up with simple code snippets to get you up and running quickly. Drop in the code snippets and push it to production. That's it. Now Raygun has your back. With smart Python error monitoring software, you'll now be alerted to issues affecting your customers the second they happen. And Raygun's dashboard and tools help you diagnose, debug, and fix those errors fast. Even though Raygun captures every single error, you will not be bombarded with a bunch of duplicate reports. It offers smart alerts to notify you when you need to take action and gives you the controls to filter even more so you'll be able to see the problems that are the highest priority in affecting the largest amount of users. Take control of your app monitoring with Raygun. Check them out at raygun.com. That's R-A-Y-G-U-N.com. What other techniques you got for people so the next one we call happy paths and sad paths and I actually learned this from salesforce so whenever you're writing any code for salesforce they've got their own version of java called apex and you never have access to the compiler you have to send it to their servers they'll compile it but you also have to send tests to their server and they recommend that you do exactly this you what is the happy path for your code you write a test for that and then you have some sad paths, you break it. And they recommend, you know, give it one data point, give it a thousand data points, give it something that's intentionally going to break. And these are just the obvious things. And that actually gets you a good amount of test coverage just doing some obvious things. They also recommend uh, like a security checklist, like 
you would put locks on your house. You don't leave the key under the doormat or just in the lock itself. So putting a basic checklist of, all right, I'm going to test for these things. You get a lot of code coverage just from doing these happy paths and sad paths. Once you've got that framework set up, when you have a bug in production, all right, you go and reproduce that. That was an untested sad path. I can just add that scenario to my list of sad paths and I'm going to catch that every time. So I like the idea of this. It's just, all right, what's my checklist to make sure that everything is working well and failing as expected. I do like the idea of separating the sad paths, whether they're actually in a different file or directory or just named something that people can see right away that this is testing in a, an unexpected or an expected uh, bad behavior or something. I think that's good. Oh, that's a great idea. I like that. I'm going to actually use that. So what I like doing is pushing my team to saying, oh, hey, here's the happy path. If we haven't written enough documentation yet, I'm using the happy path test code as here's how you use this part of the library. So I like that separation because I don't want to show them here's the sad paths. Here's how you meant to use it to break it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't always work. So sometimes I've had a test where there's lots of different input and I want to just test like, for instance, a bounds checking. I want to just to go, if there's a range of good values, I want to go just outside those ranges and check those. And in those cases, it's great. I think it's good to keep it just right with the other tests. But for instance, um, I'm working on a package where if you're not connected to the database, most of the other commands should just report an error. So keeping all of the, testing all of the different interactions to make sure that they behave correctly if the database isn't set up, that makes sense to just throw in one in one test instead of having it spread all over the place. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. I like that. Now, I am very interested in this next topic. I'm curious about this inner, inner outer thing. I wish I had the person that mentioned this. This was a thing that was on Twitter or it might have even been a guest that you or Michael had on one of the podcasts. But someone mentioned about the inner loop and outer loop of testing, where if I just run PyTest, that's going to run everything under the sun. And that's going to take a very long time. And that's not a really good cadence to be, all right, if I make a change and then I'm waiting five, 10 minutes for the full test suite to finish, that doesn't make sense. So what you do is you would have your inner loop of, I'm trying to work very focused on one piece of code leveraging the PyTest has a lot of filters out of the box to narrow down to just a test file or a class, a test suite, or a specific test. So I'm just running that one test, and that can be seconds. And having a really fast feedback loop of that one test that you're working on, well, yeah, I mean, fast feedback, that's amazing. But then once you've got that working, that's where you need it to be, then you pop back out and say, I'm going to run the full test suite in context, and you've got those two different layers. It's like Google Maps. If you're looking at the suburb, you kind of lose context of what the country looks like. So you need to zoom out a bit and then make sure that, all right, this suburb actually fits in with the context of the city. So written a whole heap of different things that PyTest can do to have what's that really fast inner loop. And then I've written a fair bit of about how to have your outer loop, but then also how to speed up the outer loop. And our test suite at work, it was taking about 20 minutes to do the full run through and it was, it was a bit flaky as well. So we had to have the test running in a very specific order. So we had quite a few tests that I couldn't use the PyTest XDist where it would run things in uh, parallel yeah. because it required certain ones to be like 
this test, then this test. So I had leakage of state and the fixtures across tests. So I had to go and fix that up. But once I did, we got it down from 20 minutes to four minutes, which I'm pretty happy with. And then I started putting that snapshot testing where it wasn't waiting on network IO, which can take 20 to 30 seconds per test. And by having that snapshot that it plays back against locally, that became milliseconds per test. So I've got it down to about two minutes from 20 minutes. So that's a pretty good improvement for that's our outer loop and the inner loop on any test is uh, quite responsive as well. So people are seeing by example, oh, hey, this testing stuff, it is actually worthwhile and it's not this flaky thing that we can't trust. It's just we didn't know how to maintain it. And I think that's part of the tension with teams where it's like, it's a good idea, but when it's not maintained, people are like, oh, that was a waste of time, and they lose sight of the value of it. Yeah. I think it's these sort of things where it's like the time cost really adds up. And I really like your, your comment of uh, that it's a focus testing versus coffee break testing. When you're focused on one problem, you're just focused on like the, the test that's failing or one little bit of it that you're you're working on. And then when you think it's pretty good, you can just let the two minutes run and go grab a coffee or whatever and then come back. And I know PyTest has a lot of built-in stuff, but I heavily utilize editors. Uh, both PyCharm and VS Code have the ability to say, I just want to run this function. And then I want to run all the, all the tests within this file. And then, of course, just run everything at the top. So that's a good workflow. I like it. Yeah, so you're just zooming out little bit by little bit. I've had an issue recently where I was focusing on one test. Yep, worked perfectly. I updated part of the API layer, but then at the top level, we had a test that was saying, here's what I expect the API layer to look like. And then when I popped out to the outer loop, that started failing because of I used a plugin called PyTest randomly. So I don't have the same order every time. And when I was doing my outer loop, one time it worked, the second time it didn't. And that's due to the order of when things were imported for the base level for the library. So okay, I'm glad that I was running it randomly because I would never have picked up that import order. So it's good that I'm getting like a a random sample every time. Yeah, randomly is great. Um, It is, um, I don't think people should feel bad if they're unable to currently run their test suite in randomly because of all the failures. It's a good goal to get to, but um, you're not alone if you're having trouble with that. We got three out of four so far. What's the last one we got? So this was an interesting one where I was trying to get the code coverage to at least 75% because that's what Salesforce was mandating when I was working with CloudSense. And it's like, all right, I think that's a good baseline to get everyone to go from, I think the existing code coverage was like 40%, just from that's when I started, that's all that was there. I'm glad that A, they had a test suite. There were some tests, but it was 40%. So it's like most of the code, I have no idea if it works, if I make a change. That was kind of scary. So if I can get it to at least three out of four lines of code, are automatically tested every time. Amazing. So I was looking at one of these classes and what lines weren't covered. And a lot of the lines that weren't covered were identical. And they were just repeated code, copy and pasted from function to function. And I'm like, hold on, I could write more tests or I could refactor this. So the first thing that is explained in the refactoring book from Martin Fowler is extract a method. And I think PyCharm has a lot of really good refactoring tools built in where it's like you could highlight a piece of code and go extract method and it'll 
take that and create a new function, it realizes what variables are in that code block that come in and what gets modified after that code block. So it'll go and add those to the parameter list of the function, pulls it out. All right, now I've got the name of that function. And then everywhere that was repeated, I just re replaced, I think it was like eight lines of code with one. And then I had a lot less lines of code that needed to be tested. I knew that one, which was critical to all of them, had been tested by some existing tests. Okay. So managed to get code coverage up by deleting a lot of code. <laughs> and that was quite an insightful thing. It's like, oh my God, I don't have to write more tests. I can just <laughs> write less code that needs to be tested because, you know, there's no bugs in zero code. Yep. I love that example of uh, you can increase coverage by removing code. Yeah. So, so yeah, quite happy with that one. It's a good sort of trying to motivate people. Oh, hey, refactor your code a little bit. It, actually, one little trick and improve your test coverage. Yeah. Now, I have some sad news for everybody and myself. And that is that I have to run and I have only scratched the surface of all of the value and all of the cool testing advice that I'm sure we can get out of Josh Peak. So I am going to twist your arm and say, I really hope that you're willing to come on the show again. I really enjoyed go walking through this article and um, I think I, we can all learn a lot from you. So are you game for coming back on? Yeah, sure. It'd be great. I can actually probably follow up after I've gone through the workshop with my team who can uh, touch base again on that, how well it went. I think that's a great idea to even check in with you as this goes on to see how things are going with it. So so thanks a lot, and I'll enjoy having you on again. Thanks, Brian. Thanks to Josh for writing these awesome articles about PyTest and testing, for spearheading the testing efforts at work, and for talking to us today. I look forward to keeping in touch with you and finding out how it's going in the future. Thank you also to Patreon supporters for continuing to support the show. Join them by going to testandcode.com slash support. And thank you so much to Raygun for sponsoring this episode. Raygun builds tools for error, crash, and performance monitoring for web and mobile apps, including, of course, Python-based web apps. Find out more at raygun.com. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 86, along with links to articles from Josh and, and the plugins he talked about. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. Or maybe... Try to help the others on your team to get up to your level of testing awesomeness.